<clears throat> thank you, thank you, thank you. That was awesome. What a powerful name it is. We'll get to that in a second. Good morning, everybody. God bless. Uh, the name of the teaching, God's GPS for tomorrow. Um, but you know, one of the things that has struck me in the last, I don't know how long, at least a year or so, maybe more, is the amount of despair that it's palpable, how people despair regarding what's going on and then they project it into the future and it just adds to their anxiety and their angst. And I'm not talking about people of the world who have no, no knowledge of God. Actually, the people who I find most often afflicted by this are people of the body of Christ. Now, I understand that partly because they note the contrast between truth and the error that is, you know, within which we're immersed. And so for them, it's striking, it's jarring at times. But on the other hand, the flip side is, wait a minute, though. Aren't we supposed to be the people who are of all people most joyful and most hopeful regarding the future? So I want to talk about that today. And we need the right GPS if we're going to enjoy that promise of God. There are three main components that define the people of God, or at least this is one way of framing that out. The people of God, and this is according to the scriptures, believe that there's one God and that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all things. Second point is that they believe that he has called us, that we have an election, we have a calling, and that there's a covenant that he has made with us that he is absolutely faithful to. The third thing is that God is going to fix what's broken. That he covenanted when he created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, 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 very good, and then it wasn't, he is obligated out of that covenant to his creation to fix it. And so that is our hope. And it's the third point. I talked a little bit about the first two points last time I taught. Um, this time I'd like to talk a little bit about that third point, about hope. But it's not just the hope, which that's cool, granted, and that's really important. But it's hope of, of any kind. It's what's going on tomorrow. What will happen to me five years from now? You know, my mom, who thankfully is sitting here, used to, uh, you know, interject herself into a crowd of young people. I watch her do it many times. And she would just, like, come right into it. And, and she'd say, so, what's your five-year goal? And she'd get people to, you know, young people to start thinking about, like, well, where am I going to be in five years? And the heart behind that was, if you don't know that you've got a bright future, that's going to be rather despairing, right? So let's talk about what that future is. Now, those of us my age remember well the days before GPS. <clears throat> those were awesome days. There was so much fun to be had. It really was. I mean, trying to navigate to somebody's house through a map uh, that really doesn't get to the detail of the streets. So it lets you know you're in the area. So then what you do is you'd call them from a payphone and they'd answer on their dial phone, or they didn't, and there was no answering machine. And then you're just kind of like, well, going to wait here a while. But then they would give you these homespun directions. And, you know, on a number of occasions, we all, at least those of us my age, we felt that rather uneasy feeling like, this isn't working. <laughs> I'm not getting anywhere I'm supposed to be. I don't know where I am, and I kind of despair I'm not getting to where I'm supposed to be going. But those days are over, right? Who uses maps? What we have now is a GPS, a global positioning service. They are 
remarkable, aren't they? I mean, those of us who can remember using maps and trying to avoid crashing into somebody as we're reading a map over our head, <coughs> we're just like, this is mind-boggling. It's crazy. But it's not perfect, is it? I remember going to an airport, I think it was in Tulsa, and it, I was trying to get to the terminal, and it took me to a cargo warehouse. I could see it. There's the airport. I can see the tower. I wasn't there, though. And then uh, just last night, Mary and I were driving by 803 Poplar, South Poplar Avenue in Elmhurst, which was where my mom and dad lived many, many years before I, before I was born. And we wanted to go see it. Sorry, Mom, the house is no longer there. But we had a GPS, right? It didn't quite get us right to the house, though. We're creeping down the street going, Where, is, this the, is that the house? GPS is only as good as the data you put into it, right? If the data is insufficient or it's not accurate, it's not going to get you where you want to go. So when we consider the path into the future, are we comfortable that we know where we're going? Are we confident that our kids, our grandkids, our friends, our loved ones are traveling toward a good place? What is the data that makes up our GPS for the future. Where do we get that from? Is it sufficient? And most importantly, is it accurate? Now, today's world, here's, a, here's kind of the, the problem we have. We live in a world that's dominated by a number of ideas that the world continually promotes as true and accurate. This is what's really real. And what's one of those ideas, and I'm just going to bring up two because I think they're very powerful. One idea that I think all of us have kind of grown up in, well, I know we have, is that there's this inevitable progress in humankind. We are always progressing. It's inevitable. We're going to progress into the future, right? Um, We expect it. Every four years, we have politicians who come on the scene and they tell us, if you vote for me... I will finally bring us to that future. You know we all deserve and we're supposed to be going to, right? So there's this idea that we're all moving in a good and a positive direction. And that idea has its roots in the 18th century. And let me tell you what the basis of that idea is. It's it's based on an exaltation of human reason, the ability of human beings to learn and to investigate the science, you know, science had exploded in the centuries leading up to that. And they kind of got to this tipping point as a, as a group, and this is very influential academicians, leaders in the Western world, got to the point where they, they thought, you know what, what's really solid, the solid ground on which we're going to build our future is human reason. And reason got exalted to the throne that, you know, before that had been actually occupied by the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so very quickly, belief in a transcendent mind and a direction is coming from a God who is divine as opposed to a human being who has reason, that belief was marginalized and turned into a faith. You're welcome to it. And in fact, most people continued to cling to it. But what they really based the future on was human reason. And, and we, are, we live in a society completely dedicated to that proposition. We are moving forward and we are progressing into the future. The other one that is really powerful is that the only thing that's real is something solid. Sorry for those online, that was me hitting the thing here. Something material, something made up of 
you know, matter, right? <clears throat> and something that you can mathematically describe. There's a cause and effect relationship. Now, why, you know, why is this important? Well, because it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And we, you know what? We all know that. Do you know how we know that? Because there are immaterial things that we cannot see and aren't solid that we know are real. Let's start with one we're all familiar with. And ironically, it's in the world of science, basically. Gravity. Can you see gravity? No, nobody can. You can detect it, but you can't see gravity. But don't we depend on it every day? I mean, if you fail to depend on gravity, if you decide gravity doesn't exist because it's not physical and I don't see it, things are going to crash and your life is going to fall apart. So we have these two very powerful prevent beliefs in our culture. And this is what feeds the GPS system for the people around us going into the future. And the problem is, they're clearly untrue. Let me ask you something. In the last 250 years, have we progressed? Has humankind progressed? Technologically, yes, for sure. I mean, here we are, right? Live streaming something. You couldn't do that, you know, 10 years ago. Have we progressed technologically? Yes. But has humankind progressed? If you were going to take that proposition from 250 years ago, and now fast forward, now let's look back. As human beings, can we say, yes, we have progressed? No. No, we had the most horrible wars in the history of mankind in the 20th century. We are now capable of mutually assured destruction of the humankind. We are, we are, I mean, we have moral problems, ethical problems, cultural problems, societal problems that are amazing, like, and, and just, you, they're intractable. We can't solve them. So have we progressed? No, it's a lie. And so, is, so just like because you can't see it, it's not true, that's a lie. We also know we're not progressing. It's just, and, and so here it is. I mean, this is what fuels the world's ideas and its rhetoric and its narrative, and we know it's not true. So we're, we know we're trying to move into the future with a worldly GPS that is just not true, and it's not accurate, and it's an uneasy situation. And, you know, we can say, well, it doesn't affect us as believers because we know the truth, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. But let me ask you, how comfortable are you sitting here right now about the future? How do you feel? Are you confident? Are you joyful about the future for you, for your kids, for your grandkids, for the world around you? Are you, are you feeling like, man, this is going to be awesome? Most people are not, and like I said, particularly Christians are not. And that's what we really need to get at. You know, because this is something we live in the ether of this. We can't escape that. So if we're not intentional about changing the data that goes into our GPS for the future, it will direct us in a way that defaults to the world. And we're going to find ourselves lacking joy. And when we're afflicted by physical sickness or behavioral health issues or by financial issues or by other things in the physical realm, we will be hard-pressed to find the joy that comes with knowing that the future is bright with the promises of God. Because, you know, hope, which is really what we're talking about, always deals with the future. It says in Romans 8, why do you hope for what you can already see? You don't do that, right? I've already, I see it. I'm not hoping for it. 
So that's kind of ridiculous. It's always, what is it that we are hoping for is, is always in the realm of, we haven't seen it yet. It's not here yet. Now this year, our theme at GCF is by faith. It's something Garrett's talked about. He talked last week about, just make a choice to believe God. Why not? Why not just choose to believe God regardless of what you see in front of you? And that works in the present, and it also works regarding the future. I mean, in fact, you cannot have hope without faith. Faith, it says in Hebrews 11, is the ground on which our hope is established. No faith, no hope. So we have to start with this proposition of we absolutely believe what God has told us. And that becomes the data points of our GPS into tomorrow. So what is the ground on which we are going to place our trust, our belief, our conviction regarding the future. So let's start with a fundamental real-life issue regarding the destiny of planet Earth. Now, today, we live, again, part of our ethers, we live amongst loud voices, very loud, that have been extremely powerful and influential to the tune of multiple trillions of dollars spent to address the fact that human beings are not only capable, but we are actually in the process of wrecking the planet Earth. And there are all sorts of prognostications about how long before the whole thing just melts down and we're all, you know, extinct. But what is the data that God has put into the GPS for tomorrow? What, what does he say about this? In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. In Psalm 104, 5, he set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. Now, you know, are there pillars that the earth sets on? I mean, is there like a concrete basement that the earth sits on? Great example of Scripture. The narrative of Scripture is filled, filled with these kinds of illustrations that God uses common understanding and understandable things from our, our daily life to try to explain something that is otherwise so abstract we'd never grasp it. But he, so he uses something like pillars or a foundation to say, this is what I'm, do you get it? This is what I'm talking about. This earth, it's not going anywhere until I say so. And of course, what is the destiny of the planet earth? Renewal. Renewal is going to be actually made better, a new improved version. So, oh, you, you know, okay, well, what's the big deal, Steve? I know that humans aren't wrecking the earth. I haven't bought, bought into that whole thing. So, you know, what does this have to do with my daily life? Okay, here's an example of where you've got to think deeper. If this is true, what he says about earth, what does that really mean to you? That means every day you rise, every minute you sit in a chair, walk on the planet, every breath you take, everything you hold dear, everything that is going to occur, has occurred, or will occur, is happening on earth, which is held firmly in his hands. Nothing is going to happen to this place. Well, that ought to just on some level give us a remarkable sense of, wow, the God who holds the very earth firmly and established is holding my future and my life. You have to think about this stuff, folks, otherwise you won't you won't really understand what God is trying to express in the narrative of his word, but when you do think about it, 
by way of the Spirit, he is going to blow your mind. Um, when you trust God and you have the confidence that the road into the future is going to be navigated by it through his truth, through his GPS, and that you are heading to a good place, what does this do for you? Well, what it does is it brings joy. That's the promise of God. Proverbs ten twenty eight. The hope of the righteous brings joy. Brings joy. What about those who aren't righteous? What about those who are going through the GPS of the worldly philosophies that are lies? What is their expectation? What happens to it? It perishes. So there's your contrast. This is the choice we have. If we don't intentionally go by God's truth, his data points regarding the future, and navigate our lives by that, it will default to the world by design. That's what the word, that's the whole systematized error of the world. That's, that's been the game, right? How do I get you to believe the lie and exchange the glory of God for the things that I'm telling you are true? That's always been the game. And, and do you think we can just casually walk through life and we're going to win that game? No, we have to be intentional about what we think. But when we really trust God and we think about it, he's the one who holds the earth and established it. He's the one who's covenanted with me in my life. He is the one who's guaranteeing my future. No matter what I see right now, no matter what's going on in the world, that is what I base my future on. Then that hope brings joy to us. So how are we to learn to navigate by God's GPS, you know, um, if we have disease or pain or afflictions in our body, if we have, say, an adult child that's living completely separated from God and we despair of what is going on in their life, how, you know, how is it that we can find this firm foundation on which to base the joy that will be ours if we have hope. Well, I can tell you one thing. That joy of hope isn't going to happen by you trying to study harder the scriptures or come to more church services or do good things for others. Nothing that you can do within the realm of human capacity and ability is going to bring you to that place. We're not designed that way. We were always designed for body, soul, and spirit. The gift of spirit, the Holy Spirit, is by design supposed to interact with our mind, our heart, our human spirit, and then bring us to that point where we finally understand God's GPS and can follow it. We can't study our way there. Romans 8, verse 18. Let's read this, and it's a sizable section, but it's really filled with great truths regarding this subject. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now think about that. In this hope we were saved. So in our salvation, in everything that God did for us when we believe that Christ is, when we confessed him as Lord, believe God raised him from the dead, in that salvation is, is hope. It's embedded in that. And we need to, you know, as we, we are going to groan inwardly at times and despair of life around us. Jesus Christ said, if I was persecuted, so are you going to be. In the world, you, sh- you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've, come over, I've overcome it. But it's there. Tribulation is there. Don't, don't act as if that's not ever supposed to happen. It's going to happen. The heat is going to come. There are going to be dry days. There's going to be, there's going to be stuff happening around us because the world has yet to be fixed. But in the midst of all that, <clears throat> we were saved to have this hope. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, listen to this, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The will of God, the one who's in charge, who in his kingdom is sovereign, whose will is done always in his kingdom. And our prayer is it be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is it that brings us in touch with what that will is right here on earth? It's the Spirit. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and those who are called according to his purpose. For those who are called according to his purpose. And there it is. That's our election. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth, who has covenanted with us and called us and given us an election. And we are saying that for us, all things will work together for good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And if you do, if you really do believe that, then it's going to come into your heart and sink in to become the issue of your life and you will have joy regarding the future regardless of what's going on in your bodies, what's going on in your loved ones, what's going on in the world around you. Because it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual inside job. We can't think our way into this. It's a transformational aspect of us becoming conformed to the image of his dear son. You know, because, because we need to believe this in our hearts, the way you get, the way this works, okay, I want to talk about just, this is how a human works. Everybody, this, this is not optional. This is just how it works. What goes in your heart starts as a thought in your mind. What's, what becomes a thought in your mind comes from somewhere. And it gets translated into your mind into an idea, which may have a picture associated or words or both, but it becomes an idea, and you have this idea, and you've heard it. And so, you've been, and so what happens? Well, in the world, we're taught millions of things, right? I mean, every day, are you kidding me with the Internet? Do you know how much information has, has gone up? I mean, it's beyond comprehension now. 
how much information is out there. And so we're constantly getting things brought into our minds. And when we stop and we say, okay, that sounds interesting. I think I'm going to think about, yeah, you know what? I accept that. I accept that. Then if I wrap faith around it, which means I will act on it, it becomes something of my heart. And so that's why God wants your heart. But he knows the way that he's going to get to your heart is he has to give you truth first. And so how do we get that truth? How do we do that? Well, we can read the Word. I would highly encourage Scripture, since God gave it to us for truth. But he also gave us the book of his works. Look around and ask God to show you what is the truth embedded in this beautiful tree that I have behind my house. Show me what that bird is trying to convey, because the works that God did, he says his divine attributes are clearly evidenced by him. And if you want to know him, Let's go there, too. So the book of his words, the book of his works, these are, that's the repository of truth, but we have to get it here, and then we have to claim it as, okay, I accept that. It's real, and then I act on that, and it becomes an issue of my heart. But that process is not just you. You, by design, are supposed to go through that being facilitated by what? The Spirit. That's the point. Jesus Christ promised that. He said, I'm going to send this to you. And it's going to guide you into all truth. It will take of mine and show it unto you. And if you continue in that truth, the truth shall what? Make you free. Free to have joy regarding the future amongst the freedoms. Do you see the process? Do you see where where we have to go with this? And it's great that, you know, how convenient that God gave Jesus Christ authority over all things in heaven and earth. Now, you could say, you know, I get that, but I'm looking around. Uh, he needs to step it up a bit. You know, and he's okay, he's learning, but <laughs> I don't see it. How is it that we look around the world and we are supposed to square what we see with all authority in heaven and earth has been committed to Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? Authority doesn't mean controlling your free will. Otherwise, we'd all be just robots, and this whole thing falls apart. The protection of your free will is so phenomenal in the Scriptures, and I hope you understand this. Your free will, your ability to choose, what you decide is so powerful, it stops the creator of the heavens and the earth in his tracks. Because you can reject God, and there's, he's not going to steamroll you. All he can do is he can say, as he does in the scripture, my white hot desire, my great passionate desire is that all men will come unto the knowledge of the truth, who be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's his desire, but does that happen? No. No, because free will is so powerful. So we live in a world of 7, bl- seven billion-plus people. Everybody has their will. How many of those people are praying every day, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And of those who pray that prayer, how many people really believe that that actually can be enacted in their life? So what do you think is going to happen when billions of people are not acting out in accordance with God's will the things they do? Uh, it's going to be, well, a little bit like what you look around and see. It's, it's, you know, it's a mess. It's chaos out there on one, in one way. But on the other hand, this is how God designed it. He has invited people to intentionally 
make a decision. Use their will and say, not my will, but yours, God. Let's combine it so I can say, I and my Father are one. One in purpose, one in will, one in intention. That's our goal. So how do we get there? It says in Colossians 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Wow. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. So my life is hidden with Christ in God. How can I find that life if he hid it? <laughs> that seems like, wow, what is this kind of a game? I died, my life's hidden in Christ. He's not showing me. No, man, it's like we're, <laughs> that's the point. We are to seek his face. And we, t- we seek God's face through his Son. No man comes unto the Father but through the Son, right? And so we partner with our Lord Jesus Christ. We follow him as a disciple. You know, he, he is the one who's teaching us. And he said, and I'll do that. I will teach you. Uh, that's why he went to the Messiah. You know, I've got many things I want to share with you, right? I just can't do it. But man, when I go and the Spirit is sent, I'm going I'm to blow your mind. But you've got to be a decide, you got to be a follower of mine. If you do that, I will guide you into all, all truth. Solid GPS, man, for the future. That's the promise. So we seek it. We seek it obviously by studying the word and encouraging each other to really intentionally bring our wills in alignment with his wills. We we encourage each other to good works. This is why we gather. One of the main reasons you gather as, as believers, why it's not optional equipment in your life. Nobody out there in the world, for the most part, there's, where are you going to get a group of people if they're not Christians who come together for that purpose, who are going to encourage you to bring your will into alignment with his? Where do you do that? That's why we gather, right? So th- these, are, these are good things, but we also have to realize that what prayer is really about is it's you having a conversation with God about something that you're both engaged in, that, that is both his will and yours. That's when I pray. And if I don't know about that, the Spirit helps my infirmities and will bring me into the right place where I... And, you know, we can speak in tongues when, you know, when we don't know anything. We know that we're praying perfectly. But at the end of the day, what we really want is our mind and our heart now convinced, because that's faith, that I'm, a now, I'm in alignment with him. And my heart has really been brought to that place. Now, how do I get there? Well, that's where prayer comes in. That's you having a conversation through Christ, by Christ, with your Father, saying, Father, that's, that's what I want. And in Ephesians 1, verse 17, this is, a, this is just a tremendous prayer. The first prayer in the book of Ephesians that Paul renders, and of course, this is for us. Um, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe 
as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. Are you, are you, are you seeing these? <laughs> Isn't this a, this, what a prayer. What a prayer that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened to know the hope of my calling. And that's not just the hope, that's the calling that God has that is a daily reality in my life. Where is that calling going to take me? Well, it's going to take you into the future. That's just the way time works, right? What is the hope of that calling? It's the, you know, it's the great hope, yes, the restoration of all things. And isn't that fantastic? That ought to inspire us and get us to realize that the, you know, whatever's happening now isn't worthy to be compared with that. So let's just, let's just march on. But even tomorrow or the next day or next year or five years from now, the hope of my calling is that God will continue to lead me into the future by a GPS that gets me where he has already prepared for me to go. And that's what this is about. So that's our prayer. And you should pray about it. I, I highly recommend it. And it's, it is underwritten by the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength, the power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And that ought to take care of any fears or concerns you have about how one human being or another is going to force control on your life and knock your life off its, its grounds. And you're going to be in despair because, oh God, what, what happens if China becomes the world power of the world? Oh my God, do I have to learn Mandarin? Well, maybe. I mean, it's not bad to know another language anyway. But do you really want to give that kind of power and authority to human beings when the, the, the immeasurable, incomparable greatness of the power toward us who believe is this? That which raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his own right hand, and gave him power over everything, any name, now and forever. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, you will have the joy of hope. God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as a head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. So you are a unique human being. You have a unique life, a unique history, a unique background, unique capabilities and capacities, a unique future. Every one of us is absolutely beautifully unique. It says in Ephesians that we are God's masterpieces. It's the word poema, so think of it as a poem. You know, it's the Greek word poema. It's a grand poem that God has written and is continuing to write. And each of us has a line in that poem, every one of us. And if we will allow God, through the Spirit of Christ in us, to direct us into truth and so that we can now follow his GPS into tomorrow, then our line will be spoken in the way that he has destined us to speak it. And it will become part of that beautiful narrative of God's story throughout all history. That's what we have available to us. And I don't really care what's going on around us. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter because the one who established the earth on pillars and a foundation is the one who has covenanted with us to say this is what's true. Okay? Father, we thank you for...
the hope we do have. We thank you for tomorrow. And we pray to you to continue to enlighten the eyes of our heart that we may know more and more what is this great hope of our calling that you have prepared for us. And thank you for being in a place and a time with people who come together and desire to grow in that together. We thank you for this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks,